Hi, folks. Uh, since the early days of this podcast, Trav Quillen and I have made an effort to uh, conceal certain elements of profanity, um, namely bleeping F-bombs in the, the podcast out of an abundance of caution that if we were to become a, a massive worldwide uh, success, um, it could cause complications in our professional lives since uh, two of the three of us work with young people. At this point, it has become very clear that there is no danger of the podcast becoming a massive runaway success. We've got our core listeners. We know exactly who you are. We're very grateful to you. We're having a great time. Uh, but starting with this episode, we will no longer be bleeping out the F word. And so if you've gotten used to listening to this podcast, uh, I don't know, with small children in your car, um, just know that uh, starting today, no more bleeps. Enjoy. It is July 27th, 1996, and standing outside of a phone booth that is broken with money inside of my hand by Primitive Radio Gods is number one on the Billboard Modern Rock chart. No contractions to, I just like, to undo. I just like drawing out the long titles. Incredibly subversive <laughs> take there. <laughs> all right. Hello and welcome to Tell Me All Your Thoughts on Pod. I am Quillen. I'm Al. And I'm Trav. This is a podcast where we talk about every song that reached number one on the Billboard Mountain Rock chart in the 90s beginning with Kurt Cobain's death in April 1994. Today we'll be talking about Standing Outside a Broken Phone Booth with Money in My Hand, the first single from Primitive Radio God's debut album, Rocket. I've got one hand in my pocket, standing outside of a phone booth that's broken. <laughs> Spent six weeks at the top of the minor rock chart. Here's a clip. All right. Well, this song is it has a, a curious history. I don't know if you all looked into this, but there was a band called the I Rails that made a couple of rock records that went nowhere. And then the uh, bassist slash singer Chris O'Connor, inspired by rap groups like Public Enemy, reworked an album of I Rails material and um made a, uh, a tape of it under the name Primitive Radio Gods and released it, and it got no attention. 
And so he quit making music. And then I guess later he was cleaning his house and he found these tapes, mailed them to labels. And somebody heard this song standing outside a broken phone booth with money in my hand. And next thing you know, poof, it was on the Cable Guy soundtrack. (laughs) And uh, that's where we are now. Six weeks on the modern rock chart for this song. Um, Hmm. How do you feel about this song? Um, Trev. Uh, this song is, um, another in the line of quirky pseudo novelty songs. It feels like the sample, I don't know what it is about it that makes it feel a little bit unique. I guess nothing else really sounded like it, um, at the time. It's a, it's a good song. Um, it's not incredibly well crafted or well written or anything it just seems like they kind of fumbled on to something that works and uh, uh somebody heard it apparently at the right time with the uh the record people and um that uh <laughs> i guess that 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 triggered the whole line of success for for the song but um I, I don't know. I guess the world could have taken or left it. Like if that never happened, nothing would be different. <laughs> it's like Quill, you like it? It's like the least assuming number one hit single on the modern rock chart that you, you can think of, right? Like next next week's is pretty unassuming too. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> this is true, but it's you know, this is from a brand new artist right and like yeah i i didn't know this song when i was a kid i don't i mean i'm sure i'd heard it but i this is like pretty new to me now really yeah really i have such powerful memories of this song not me Um, you didn't own the cable guy soundtrack no i never saw cable guy i own the cable guy soundtrack and i didn't never seen it (laughs) (laughs) well i've never heard nor seen oh uh either have have none of us seen the cable guy i saw it I saw it it. probably like in early quarantine for the first time. Oh, wow. Yeah. So I I remember people being upset. Um, Does it kind of present itself as a a dumb comedy, but then it turns out to be something uh, darker and stranger? Maybe. Yeah. And I think that has more to do with Jim Carrey coming off of like Ace Ventura. You know, mm-hmm. where it is like this, this dark and the mask sort of like, and the mask. You're right. You're right. Yeah. Where those were ver- like very light and silly and nonsense. And this was a little more sinister. Cable mm. guy, cable guy, cable guy, cable guy, couple girl. Um, yeah, I, uh, I, I like this song. I, I've always liked this song. I, lo- I do like a- it. I did not answer the question. I, I do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, you keep going. I do like it. I, I do like the song. I do agree with Trav that it's kind of just like a hodgepodge of random shit that was just kind of stumbled upon, right? And um, there are some very funny things that happen in the song, I think, Um, and a lot of, like, all over the goddamn album, but... um. <laughs> There, there are some really questionable and and laughable things going on, but this song is subtle and nice and and good. I, I, I do like it. Even though, so my, I, go ahead. Yeah, I just the I think even though, um, I agree with Travis that it's maybe not necessarily well constructed. 
Hmm. Um, my number one thing about this song is that uh, for years and years and years, I heard B.B. King saying, no Christmas today, no Christmas today. And it was really just a couple years ago that I had that set straight for me, that it is ever since the day we met <laughs> that he's singing. So I always thought this song was very melancholy and painful and, uh, you know, <laughs> something along the lines of when Homer says, yes, we have no bananas, uh, when he said that that it's, yeah, no no Christmas today. That's like a real, um, like, Dudley from Royal Tenenbaums kind of response to, uh, to the song. <laughs> I'm colorblind? <laughs> I'm afraid you are. <laughs> um, yeah, you know, this song's got a, it's just got a very moody atmosphere this is a humid song I, mm. i've talked very frequently about humid songs you mainly um, mentioned Emily, it with 1979 and i yes I, yeah. it makes your I, description or like thinking back to that it makes sense here a yes. lot to me like says walk yeah. walking through a um uh, uh on a foggy day walking through a warm yeah. cloud of of water vapor um Every time that uh, Emily has heard me listening to this song in preparation for the podcast, she has said, unironically, you listen to Moby? Yeah. <laughs> oh, my gosh. No, that makes perfect sense. Yeah. I didn't even make yeah. that connection, but that's that's exactly right. There was the uh, the Moby single Porcelain around this time that sounds uh -huh. very similar, and I had never made that connection. But Yeah. Thank Does you, anybody Emily. remember who that vocal sample came from? Cause there's a there's a blues vocal sample on that song as well, right? Isn't that the bad? Oh yeah, that's right. Bad. No. Woman. Yeah. Okay. I I do sort of wonder if it's BB King, but um, uh, I guess we can we can look it up. Do you like the sample in this song? Yeah. Yeah. I also like when he sings oh, it. Oh, that's that's a the, really that was a turn off to me. Like, oh, I just oh. feel like it's so offensive. Like, why why would you do that? Like, just the one time doing it once. Why? Like, it's like to yeah. me, it's like a uh, oh, like look at me, I can sing this line too. Even yeah. though this guy has one of the most mediocre voices I've ever heard he barely <laughs> sings in tune on the entire album like he sounds flat the whole record this this song i think the vocals are fine agreed the, uh, totally, there there are totally agreed. oh boy but he, there are other songs on the album he where he is not, not he's not in tune not hitting the no, notes he is a yeah. bad voice but it's fine in, in the song yes but just that he has the gall to sing the bb king uh melody yeah also, at the uh, very end, like, fuck you, man. Wow. Such a Trav, stupid I, move. I, it looks like Trav's going to tell us about Moby. I, no, I, I'm not. I just wanted to say I agree that he has an unremarkable voice, but the one time he sings the sample is my favorite part of the song. Oh, man. It's, yeah. it's, it's yeah. this part I'm where, like, vomit. you know, because it's this very, like, speaking kind of, like, lower... Um, lower range mm -hmm. kind of like vocal thing throughout the song and then like it's an octave higher when he sings the sample and it's it, 
it's like it almost like kind of explodes with like color in the song when he does that. And I love it. Um, Mm. And I wish it's so cool that he only does it once um, that it's like the one sort of like peak of the song right at the end. And that's my favorite part of the song. Typically, I like when something like that happens. I like when a really cool thing happens in a song only once. I like the feeling of like wanting more and not getting it. However, like it's a melody that's already been sung many times by a more capable singer via sample. I just don't. I just think like, why? Why cut out the sample for the one time so that you can sing it with your terrible voice and then bring the sample back in. It's just, well, I think, I think there's an answer to that. I think I have an answer to it. If I can kind of feel out the song in my brain. Um, and I don't want to get too far ahead of our, our template here, but, um, when you think about what the song's about, like, it's really about nothing. I haven't thought about what it's about. Yeah. It's, and you don't need to, honestly, (laughs) it seems like he just sat down and like, thought I need to write some lyrics yeah. and just like didn't have anything, any purpose behind what he was saying. And he just kind of talked in these vague generalities about mm-hmm. life and death and things like that. And it works. It works really well for the song. Um, but then to include the sample and have it running throughout the song is almost like you can envision the singer kind of listening to this song on his radio or whatever. It's got the radio kind of um, uh, EQ to it so that it seems like mm-hmm. it's distant and you can imagine the the singer listening to it. And it's this moment where he kind of like um, connects with it and uh, employs it on his own. And uh, I, I think that adds that much more impact for me, um, where he kind of takes ownership of like what he's listening to. I, 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 that, that's probably oversimplifying how I actually feel about it, and I'm not quite able to articulate what I really want to say about it, um, unfortunately, but it's something along those lines. I appreciate you sharing that uh, insight. I appreciate you, Aaron. I do like a couple lines in this song. I like moonlight spills on comic books and superstars and magazines. That's a nice image. And uh, as a kid, at least, I liked Ma Teresa's joined the mob and happy with her full-time job. It seems a little silly now, but it reminds me of an upcoming song, uh, The Eels, uh, Novocaine for the Soul, which has the excellent, excellent line, Jesus and his lawyers are coming back. Oh, yeah. Um, Both of which are kind of classic 90s, taking something that's meant to be sacred and then bringing it down into the... The, the dirty old real world. Um, <laughs> you're saying that this song is about nothing. Uh, songmeanings.com uh, <laughs> pragmatic poetry 
uh, would appreciate some guidance. Pragmatic Poetry posted, I would really appreciate it if someone could offer their opinions on this song. (laughs) (laughs) That's Uh, it. (laughs) Songmeetings.com Dark Apathy wrote, What I saw on it was being sort of sad about life. And that's what songmeetings.com told me about uh, standing (laughs) outside a broken phone booth. I don't think it's sad, though. I don't think it's sad at all. It's, I mean, the the melody and the the sound of the song is a little bit melancholy. bittersweet and melancholic, yeah. But lyrically, it's not that. I don't know. I, th- I see that sem- I see that sample as the guiding thing. Uh, I've been downhearted, baby, ever since the day you ever since the day we met. Um, I, I that's that's the predominant emotion of mm. the song to me. Mm. I uh, no no Christmas today. I really like the <laughs> piano solo part. Mm-hmm. That's a nice. Yeah. Nice section of the song. Um, the ending, I do like, despite my hate for um, him trying to steal the spotlight at the end um, from himself and from BB King. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, I do like the ending. I do like, um, there's like a, I don't know what it is that comes in an extra layer of sound. It's like a clinky like keyboard or synth sound that comes in um playing like i don't know uh it's like playing another part that's already been played um by another uh-huh. instrument i don't know if it's like it's like a like almost an acoustic guitar or piano sound but like clearly it's a synthesized sound do you know what i'm talking about or am I? Um, I don't necessarily know that one, but there's also the synthesizer note that comes in and goes. Uh, at the end. Oh yeah, that's kind of cool okay. too. I, the, and there's some kind of a weird, maybe vocal sound that goes like, do you hear that <laughs> no. at the end? The part that yeah, there is, there the is. The part that I'm thinking of is like it's like the last like minute or so of the song. It's just the do 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 do. Oh, it's like playing the do do's. Like it's like playing the do do's of the chorus. Okay. But it's like an instrument and yeah, it that melody. It's cool. That melody sounds familiar, but I cannot place what it sounds like in the song right now without listening to it. Well, I, I'm just telling you what I like about the song. <laughs> no need to get defensive, man. <laughs> it, it's it's a pretty like I, I was I was pleasantly surprised. I I I, I did enjoy. Uh, I, I I do think it's a good song. I added it to my um, eight and nine X new rock alternative Spotify playlist for sure. Cool. I think I did actually. I guess not um, for sure, but. The video is pretty random and cheap looking. It's really random images. I don't. I don't think there's any band footage in it. Um, it's a, a like the song. I guess it's a mood piece. Anything that you all noticed about the video? I remember. I I, I thought I had more uh, like powerful memories of the uh, video um, than it, it would seem. Like they. There's just, like you said, there's nothing really happening. Um, there's the mm-hmm. closed captioning thing, which um, reminded me of the video for Just by Radiohead, which was also huh. um, 
included the the closed captioning. Um, the thing that was super annoying to me about it was the ghost child coming out of the phone booth to sing to the singer, um, who was like, I don't know, um, brooding while she like sang into his ear. And I thought that was really rough and a bit pretentious. Yeah. Great video. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, let's uh, talk about the album rocket. Um, my notes say beastie boys meets savage garden. (laughs) (laughs) Oh God. Oh, it is a sack of shit. (laughs) I don't know if it's a sack of shit, but it's not very good. I think it is worse than how I felt the uh, Dishwalla album was. I think it's the worst album. Oh my God. I think it's, I think it's worse than 16 stone. I think it's worse than frog stomp. I think it's worse than. See, I think I have a little bit more sympathy for this one because it sounds like a home recording. It does. It sounds like a guy recorded this and mixed it in his apartment and sent out tapes. It does. It sounds like shit. It sounds like poorly (laughs) recorded, like music jumbled together by a dude who can't sing in key and got really like sample happy and the like i think that the single or the the hit is the only place that his sampling works i don't think it works on any other song i mm-hmm. hated every okay there there are moments on some songs that like melodically there might be a cool guitar thing happening or like a cool chord progression but the samples never work the music is bad 85% of the time. And he also drops an N-word on one of the songs. I don't know if you know. Oh, this. Really? he sure does. He sure does. And it's, it's not like um, antagonistic. It's like, I think, trying to be sympathetic, right? Or like trying to be on the same level. Yeah. I, it's yep. I, I can't remember what the lyric is, but it's I, like I don't but when I heard it, it shocked me. And and yep. that song is the song that that occurs in, I think, is maybe the second best song on the album musically. And it's only like got like two good parts. But like I it shocked me. I heard it and I was just like, whoa, white dude saying the N word. Yeah, I think. And I don't mean to say this to sound like I'm defending them, but like it sounded like he meant well. Um, in, in the context of, of how it was, it was stated. And I think it's also like, you know, 1996, like it, it's 25 years ago, you know, and that much closer to, you know, the early 20, 20th century. And, um, yeah, I'm again, not defending that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, totally. And and but, like I said, I I don't think it was like an antagonistic use of it at all or anything yeah. like that. Like I think he was I think he meant well in using it. Um I think he um, It was just it was startling to hear it. Yeah, now, yeah, right? and definitely something that shouldn't shouldn't be yeah, right. Like right. Yeah. 
Um, it wouldn't be done now for sure. Um, uh, yeah, uh, yeah. Yeah, I Quillen, I actually like totally agree with you on this. It is like uh I felt like the album was totally tossed off as like a means to sort of justify the single. Mm. Like you got to have an, mm-hmm. an album to go along with the song and it was like, "All right, let's just throw together a bunch of like quote-unquote rock songs." And um it it was just this like groove-based sort of rock that sounds like um like it sounded like Dishwalla, very... but with samples. Yeah, like I guess <laughs> I, I did sort of like pick up some like hints of like the smithereens or like in excess or maybe like Love and Rockets, U2, things I, like that. I, I heard I heard Jesus Jones. Yeah, yeah, sure. Uh, right here, right now. Yeah. But either way, um, the, the synthesis of rap sounds and everything else felt very early 90s to me on most of the rest of the record um i don't know i I mean how would you describe in general just the cocktail of influences that are going on here i mean on the follow-up single which is called motherfucker um he raps the verses with this like political rap i mean he's like when do I get paid for all the money you made selling souls on Capitol Hill? And then he goes into this... Um, the song fucking sucks, by the way. It's awful. He goes into a chorus that he he, he cannot hit the notes of at yeah. all. Um, but, uh, yeah, it sounds, to me, most mostly it sounds dated. It sounds like yeah. it's... Yeah. It's a... Yeah. It's a um, it's a dated notion of melding, I think, rap beats with uh, with rock and roll. It's, it's almost like uh, like Walk This Way, like mm-hmm. with Run DMC, which is like that. God, that happened almost ten years before this. <laughs> I feel like this is just like uh am like this is amateur music. Like it's just it's not I I cannot believe that this was on a major label. I think mm-hmm. I think that the song that we are talking about the 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 single the hit is totally like an outlier on the album it's it's a good song that i will give a good rating to i think that otherwise outside of that that this is like the this is for me the low point of what we've talked about so far on this podcast hmm. like interesting far and away and like the dishwall album sucked and i I did not hate 16 stone, but 16 stone had some really low, low moments. And, um, yeah, see, I feel too, like this is, like, this is so much worse than any of that. For me. I, I think th- this is something that if it were released on an independent label, I think we'd be talking about in a different tone. It's just jarring to hear 
Um, maybe we'd be more forgiving or I think it, it, maybe I would be more forgiving of it, but I would not think that I would like it anymore. Or uh-huh. less. Did you guys think this was English or European at all? You know, I actually have no clue. I didn't really think about it. They're from, from California, but I thought, hmm. I thought that it was, it was English because it seemed distant and a little more difficult to relate to. It seemed it seemed mm. kind of far off in that way to me, um, but that could be just because they were bad at writing songs. <laughs> um, I had a couple of notes about a couple of songs. Uh, my note for Motherfucker was: "This sounds like me when I try to get angry. Totally unconvincing." <laughs> <laughs> and about the song, who say? My note was. <laughs> Who say it was a good idea to record and release this song? <laughs> Who say that's like a French kick song title? <laughs> yeah. Oh, there's a background hey, vocal I, that's I. like... <laughs> who say, who say, who say, who say, who say. That's how the song goes. Oh my goes. God. Just even you singing that is just like, yeah, this is bad. Yeah. <laughs> Trev, what would you rate this album on a one to five or zero to five scale? Zero to five, probably, probably like a one or a one and a half. Al, what about you? Yeah, uh, uh, a two or below. Oh wow. Okay. Okay. Yeah, I I was gonna say one or a one and a half. Yeah. Um. I don't think I have any other questions, but I guess just, you know, hearing this paired with Pepper last week, knowing that Odele is out, it seems like we're definitely heading into a new period where um, samples, drum machines. More electronics. Yeah. 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 Radio's changing. Um, Mm -hmm. For sure. So, uh, yeah. Uh, I, we're not we're not quite at a point where I th- I feel like it's the beginning of the end, but that's coming up mm-hmm. very soon, where I feel like I can hear the the end of anything that I want to hear on alternative rock radio. <laughs> um, we're still gonna have bright spots for for several years, but we're gonna start having some real dark. Spots. I have to say that this album, I, I'm I'm curious to see, and I should maybe start tracking this for myself. But I, I know we're going to go to shittier and darker places, uh, moving forward. But we're going to go down. Speaking, pretty soon. <laughs> yes, <laughs> but like thinking of albums as a whole that we're going to be talking about, I have to think that this might be in the bottom five or 10 at the most. Do you think like this is is like, uh, like this is a bad, bad album. Like this is like sugar Ray bad. 
I was worse. Just gonna ask. I have to say. I was. I have to say worse ask, because. Do I, you think that this is better or worse than floored by yeah, sugar? I, I mean, bet it'll be worse. I I think so because I feel like there are a couple of sugar ray singles that I like. I bet it'll be worse. I don't. I'm not gonna go that far, but I bet it'll be. Worse. Yeah. <laughs> you bet that floored will be worse. No, I bet. I bet. Uh, Rocket by mm-hmm. the primitive radio gods will be worse. This, yeah. like you said, this or, or Pet Your Friends by Dishwalla are probably the two, two yeah, worst albums. I think, I think they're the two I, worst I think, albums you've talked about. I, I think this is just maybe maybe half a point better than than Pet Your Friends. That was miserable. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay, well, uh, let's head over to the charts. I was going to say, why are we still talking about this? <laughs> <laughs> All right, on the um, uh, the mainstream rock chart, you know this is this is at the top of the charts for six weeks. So we go from "Tripping on a Hole in a Paper Heart" by STP, a song we all love. Mm-hmm. Um, very briefly, goes back to "Until It Sleeps" by Metallica, then back to "Tripping on a Hole in a Paper Heart," and then finally goes on to "Burden in My Hand" by Soundgarden. So I think we've talked about all these songs. Yeah, yeah. And um, I I like Burden in My Hand quite a lot, but it sounded like you two weren't as enthusiastic. Correct. Right. Um, <laughs> Trav. Yeah. Uh, number one on the pop chart, we have a double A side by Tony Braxton. Yeah. So, um, I love uh, I love the first Tony Braxton album. All of the singles from that are. Incredible. Um, when she got to the second album, I did not like it as much. It was not the same sort of thing. I don't know um, if there were different different people working on the album, um, but I didn't. Uh, You're making me high is okay. I th- I feel like "Unbreak My Heart" is always like. The first song people mention when they talk about Tony Braxton, and mm-hmm. I feel like that's such a bummer to me because she has at least five or six songs that are better um, than that song. Um, that that song, "Unbreak My Heart," is like, um, "Have you ever really loved a woman?" Or um, <laughs> <laughs> that it's got that uh, that dramatic sort of uh, Spanish acoustic guitar kind of thing happening. Um, and let it flow has a little bit of that too, right? It's in the same sort of yeah, yeah template. Um, so uh, I, I I don't know. I don't want to say anything bad about Tony Braxton. I'd rather listen to Tony Braxton than a lot of music. Um, mm-hmm. It's it, it's great that she's back on the charts. Um, I could probably afford to spend some time with that album, that second album, and uh, kind of revisit it there. I'm sure there's some interesting things happening. So you're making me high as a babyface production, um, is what I saw. I'm still a little surprised by that because it seems like she's doing. Um, I mean, it's like an upbeat. Uh, it's it's a it's it's almost like a club track. Yeah, um, yeah. I was kind of surprised to see that. I, and I don't know much about. Um, about Tony Braxton, but then "Let It Flow" is from the "Waiting to Exhale" soundtrack. Um, so I guess both of those got a, a, a fair amount of airplay. It sounds like "Let It Flow" probably got a little bit more airplay. Mm. But um, from those two Tony Braxton songs, 
we go into, and this makes me feel like we are, we're, we're really far through this podcast. <laughs> it's Macarena time. Oh God. <laughs> this is, uh, oh, the first of 14 weeks oh, of God. Macarena <laughs> by Los Del Rio. 14 weeks. 14 weeks. That means that I feel like I'm going to have clear memories of everything from this point forward. That's uh, wow. uh that means uh, we're at the uh, around the time of the uh, Democratic National Convention from 1996, right? Where there's the video of everybody dancing to the the Macarena. Oh boy. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, Macarena fever hit right when I was going to, you know, middle school dances and things like that and and that being like a big deal. So, you know, everybody, everybody knew how to do the Macarena. That's not even a song. Yeah. Yeah. And there are numerous different sort of remix versions that were also big, right? I think so. Anyway, <laughs> uh, I would also just no like to make the point, make the point about the pop charts. We only ever talk about number ones on the pop charts, but, um, we just said Macarena is going to be at number one for 14 weeks. For nine of those weeks, it is holding off I Love You Always Forever by Donna Lewis, which is stuck in the number two position and never hits number one. I've said this numerous times on the podcast. I'm not even going to call it a guilty pleasure. I think I Love You Always Forever is one of the great 90s pop songs. Probably in my if we're if we're ignoring rock music and we're just sticking to pop radio, probably a top fiver for me in the nineties. Wow. And I got to say, I'm already prepping for our end of 1996 special. And uh, the Donna Lewis album is pretty good. Hmm. Interesting. So, Hello. Have a listen. Um, observations about uh, the rest of the modern rock chart? Uh, the only other, the, the only song that stuck out to me was um, Hole's cover of Gold Dust Woman mm-hmm. um, by Fleetwood Mac. Um, at number 37, um, I actually, I mean, I don't remember ever hearing it. I'm sure I had in the past, but, um, it's, it's pretty good. It's a pretty good, uh, pretty good cover. I I mean, I would say it's a really good cover of that song. Um, Mm -hmm. it is so vastly different. Sounds like a whole song. I probably wouldn't have known that it was a Fleetwood Mac cover when I was a kid. Um, it's a, yeah, it's a cool. Yeah. I mean, it sounds like cool. Um, it's a it's a great fit to hear uh, Courtney Love taking on um, some of the Stevie yeah. Nicks persona. Yeah. I think that some of the um, 
you know, some of the press and, and her public image as being someone who was accused of being involved in Kurt Cobain's death and all these kinds of things. I think the idea of playing up some element of what people perceive as witchiness yeah. Yeah. and yeah. all of its relations yeah. to sexism and, and everything else I think is, it was a really cool Pretty savvy move. move. Yeah. Yeah. That's and great uh, yeah, I think it works well. Uh, Crow soundtrack. Okay. Yeah. That's what I was going to ask. Crow. Um, City of Angels. The second one. Oh, yes. gotcha. Okay. The second yeah. cross on track, yeah. seen never seen same no i haven't either i thought it was neat to see um a live version of but anyway by the brown pepsi boys in (laughs) blues traveler um that was from originally from 1990 and so it was cool like i i mean i guess if you see the progression of how it worked out like um their album came out i think it was called four with uh run around and hook Mm -hmm. and they became this enormous band and then um, they put out a live album and r- sort of reintroduced one of these classic, a classic BT song. <laughs> <laughs> in, but anyway, which is awesome. But anyway, still great. Um, yeah, it was just neat to see it kind of re-enter the charts uh, because of their success. Yeah. Uh, sticking with the jam band thing, uh, I think one of the better Dave Matthews band singles is on the chart. So much to say. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. It's a pretty funky one. Yeah. First track on, on the Crash, the album. Um, Tonight Tonight, I think is worth noting, is at number five. I, I don't think we're, you know, we don't look at the charts every week, but I think that this might be the highest that we see that go. And uh, the only other thing that I wanted to point out is I feel like a quintessential 90s radio track, Ready to Go by Republica. Um, you know, it's it's very much stuck in its time, but I, I, I always welcome it when I hear it. I don't know what it is. Um okay and it's got like uh baby i'm ready to go it's got like female singer okay vegas vacation featured in vegas vacation (laughs) what (laughs) okay it's got like uh like uh like garbage drums or filter drums yes yes you'd recognize it there are are um there are a couple of good parts of it. It's it's consistently good. What part did it what did it play in Vegas Vacation? Uh Uncle Eddie's daughter <laughs> is a stripper and she strips in an inappropriate setting to that song. Is that Randy Quaid? Yes, of course. <laughs> cool, cool, cool. <laughs>
Quill, you got anything else from the I chart? I know that that's all I had. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, um, let's rate standing outside. Let me check my notes. A broken phone booth with money in my hand. Um, Trav, why don't you get us started? Um, this is a good, good song. I give it 3.5 uh, Chicka Cherry Colas. <laughs> Colin, what do you think, buddy? I, as much shit as I was giving uh, the songwriter about implanting himself over the wonderful vocals of B.B. King at the end of the song. I think that, I think this is a sweet song. I, I really like it. I, I give it uh, four monies in my hand. All right. I'm going to give it who, 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 who say. That's, <laughs> <laughs> that's four. <laughs> cool. Yeah. All right. Well, that's a pretty decent yeah. rating for a, a song that we 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 trashed the artist. <laughs> yes. I mean, don't. That's the thing. Definitely worth reiterating. This album fucking blows. But <laughs> the song is good. The song is, is a it? good. Song. I thought we were going out on a high note. There. We're not. We gotta be. I just said this song better. is good. <laughs> the song's good. Okay. The song is good. Uh, it's also on a positive note. It's not a Nirvana wannabe. No, it certainly not. not. Certainly not. Jesus all Jones right. wannabe. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> all right. Well, tell me all your thoughts on Pod as part of the Off Shelf family. Head to offshelf.net to sign up for their monthly zine and check out our sibling podcast, Best Song Ever. The best, most fun way for us to communicate with all of you is via our Facebook group. Tell me all your thoughts on Tell Me All Your Thoughts on Pod. However, we still love receiving your emails at thoughtsonpod at gmail.com. You can listen along with our playlist on Spotify. <laughs> I said that a little weird, but <laughs> Spotify, Apple Music, or you can watch along on YouTube. Uh, next week, I'm excited. We'll be talking about the classic 1978 single, Who Are You? Oh, Alec, you get it backwards. There's, uh, it's not. It's out of order. The the way we're not write. talking about the who. We're not. We're not. Who a... you are? Who, who, <laughs> who, oh, who. <laughs> oh, it's right. It's who you are. Who you are by Pearl Jam that we'll be talking about next week. Uh, we can't wait to uh, speak with you again. Bye. Bye. Bye.